We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. First Corinthians. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, feels good to take my mask off. Good morning. My name is Dave. I, I am now uh, one of the pastors here at Resurrection Oakland. Feels good to say that. It's so good to be here. Um, Brent was saying earlier that we want to be a church where everyone is known, and I, I have to tell you, I, I was a little embarrassed to, to realize that I was known as soon as I got here. So many people took a look at me, even with my mask on, and said, wait, are you the new pastor? Um, and so let me tell you, I feel known, and I would love to get to know you. Um, that's one of the things I'm looking forward most about joining Resurrection, getting to know the people of Resurrection, whether you're here for the first time or uh, you've been here for a long time. And so please hit me up. I'd love to meet up with you for coffee and get to know you. love to get to know your families. I'd love for you to get to know my family. And, and the reason we read the Bible and we have a sermon on Sundays is because we have a God who does know us. That's why we want to be a church where everyone is known, because God knows us each individually by name. He knows you. He knows everything that you're going through right now, and that's why we want to hear his word. So will you pray with me before we dive into the sermon today? Our Father in heaven, we thank you and pray, praise you for being the God who knows us. You know where we are right this moment, whether we're unconvinced whether we're just barely holding on to our faith, whether we're going through struggles, or whether we're elated uh, for the good things that you're pouring into our lives, God, we're, whatever we're feeling, uh, we pray that you would meet us in the power of your spirit, uh, that we would read your word, and through it, that we would know you better, that we would plumb the depths of your limitless love for us in Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, you don't need hope and endurance when times are good. You need hope and endurance for the tough times. 
living with hope and endurance doesn't look like a runner coasting to victory uh, in front of all her competitors. It looks a lot like Sifan Hassan. Have you, have you heard that name recently? Sifan Hassan is a runner uh, for the Netherlands in the Tokyo Olympics. And last week, Sifan Hassan fell during her 1500 meter heat and she got up and she finished first. That's hope and endurance. And what the Bible shows us today is that one of the most fundamental things about love is that it hopes and endures, which means that love is not for the easy times or the best of times or the good times, but it's especially for the tough times. Love hopes and endures, and love that hopes and endures everything changes everything. So we're going to unpack all of this today in today's passage by looking at three things. Number one, I'm a three-point guy, so I'm going to have three points, very rarely two, maybe like 3.5, but uh, three things we're going to look at today. Number one, love bears and endures. Number two, love hopes and believes. And number three, love redeems the loveless. So let's look at number one. The first point, love bears and endures. If you look at verse 7, the very first verse of 1 Corinthians, or our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, it starts with this declaration that love bears all things. And in the original New Testament Greek, that word bear actually means to suffer. And so what the Bible is saying is that love knows how to suffer. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he uses it similarly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, a little bit earlier in the letter. Uh, and, and there he says, we endure, that's the same word for bear, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to talk about all the ways that he suffered. Paul's saying that he's willing to suffer for the gospel. And if you know the story of the, of, of the apostle Paul, you know that he was willing to be falsely accused. He was willing to be insulted. He was willing to be shipwrecked, to be exposed, to be beaten, to be imprisoned, even killed all in order to share good news with people. So love suffers. Love bears and endures. Love is willing to take hits. Love has a high pain tolerance. And we know this because we all have suffered for the things that we love. Think about all the times that you suffer through hard work, driving your body to its limits, to exhaustion, and just in order to compete in a sport that you love. Think about how you suffer through crazy diets. If you get to know me, you know that I have been eating keto for close to three years now. And let me tell you, it's a labor of love. There's lots of suffering that goes into a diet. Think about the, how you suffer through all kinds of diets in order to stay healthy. Think about how you suffer through all kinds of drama at your work in order to do your job. Think of all the hours that you've waited in line to eat at restaurants with limited capacity during this crazy season. Uh, think of all the times that you've let somebody shove a Q-tip up your nose just so you can go on vacation. <laughs> Love suffers. Love is not afraid of suffering. Love will not wilt or run away when they're suffering. When things get too uncomfortable, when things get too painful, 
or too hard love stands fast. And this is the kind of love that every single one of us is looking for. Uh, we're all looking for love that will bear and endure with us and for us. Love that is willing to suffer for us. We want people to love us not only on our good days, but especially on our bad days. Uh, we don't want to be loved through uh, just our good decisions. We want to be loved even when we make bad decisions. We want to be loved when we're being selfish or moody. We want to be loved when we're being cruel or inconsiderate. We want to be loved in our moments of moral weakness. We want to be loved in our imperfections, our quirks, our flaws, our trauma, our sin, our brokenness. We want love that will not give up on us. In his book, On Love, Alain de Baton writes about a time when he was walking in the streets when they, he came across a homeless woman and his girlfriend asked him, would you still love me if I had a birthmark like this woman? And this is what Baton writes, de Baton, he says, the yearning is the answer be yes, an answer that would place love above the mundane surfaces of the body, or more particularly, its cruel, unchangeable ones. I will love you, not just for your wit and talent and beauty, but simply because you are you, with no strings attached. I love you for who you are deep in your soul, not for the color of your eyes or the length of your legs or your checkbook. He goes on to say this, he says, the desire is that I be loved even if I lose everything, leave nothing but me, this mysterious me taken to be the self at its weakest, most vulnerable point. Do you love me enough that I may be weak with you? Everyone loves strength, but do you love me for my weakness? Now, Alain de Baton is an atheist. You don't need to be a Christian to understand that love bears and endures. We don't want to be loved for the things that we do. We don't want to be loved for the way that we look. We don't want to be loved for the things that we can offer. We want to be loved for who we are. I will love you even though you are, have an ugly birthmark on your face. That's what we want to hear. I, I will love you even though you're broke. That's what we want to hear. I will love you when you are weak, when no one else loves you. I will love you. This is the love we are all looking for. See, the, the moment that love stops bearing and enduring, it ceases to be love. It becomes something else. It becomes transactional. Love says, I don't love you for the way you make me feel. I don't love you for what you can do for me. I love you for you. I love you when you're difficult to love. I love you, even when it makes me feel uncomfortable to love you. I love you when I feel like giving up. I love you for you. I don't love you for me. Now, before we move on, I need to say a quick word here about abuse, because it's easy to twist a teaching like this to say that if you believe that love bears and endures, then you should bear and endure with abuse. And so let me be crystal clear, that is not what the Bible is saying. Love does not bear and endure with abuse. The reason people enable abuse, the, people, the reason people let people abuse them is not because they love their abusers, it's because they're afraid of losing their abusers. So enabling abuse is not an act of love, it's an act of fear. Enabling abuse is not loving, it's just 
afraid. The loving thing to do with an abuser is to say, stop abusing me. The way you love and endure with abuse is to risk the relationship by making a strong boundary and saying, I am not going to let, me, let you hurt me anymore. So this is heavy stuff. Love is heavy. It bears and endures, but not in the way that we expect it to. And when it does, when it bears and endures everything, it changes everything. And this is beautiful. It's what we're all looking for, but it's also the most impossible thing for any of us to do. We all want someone to bear and endure with us in everything, but we do not want to love and endure and bear in everything with other people. We want to receive love that bears and endures everything. We don't want to give love that bears and endures everything. We all have limits. So why is it so hard if we are all looking for the same thing, if we are all looking for love that bears and endures, why can't we just do it? It's because we lose faith and hope in one another. This brings us to our second point, point number two, love believes and hopes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, the Bible also declares that love believes and hopes. We need to believe and hope in one another. We need to believe that our suffering is not in vain. We need to believe that our love is worth it. We need to believe that even though loving may be hard and painful right now, it is not always going to be this way. One day, if we endure, if we bear with the suffering that we're going through, love is going to get easier and it's going to satisfy our souls. But here's the thing, the longer that you bear and endure with someone, the more intimately you become aware of that person's sins, that person's flaws, that person's quirks. The longer you know someone, the longer that you bear and endure with someone, the harder it gets to believe in them or to hope for them. When you realize that someone you love is flaky, it's probably because they flaked out on you. When you realize that someone you love has a problem with their temper, it's probably because they lost their temper with you. When you've suffered it enough, it's hard to believe, it's hard to have hope in people. When you've suffered enough, it gets easier and easier to say or to think things like, he's never gonna change, or she's never gonna change. It's easy to abandon faith and abandon hope. So how do you believe and hope in someone when you just want to give up, when you know them a little bit too well, when you know how messed up they can really be? Well, you have to let your dreams die so your hope can live. Let me explain what I mean by that. A couple years ago, there was this fascinating study uh, about why people ghost one another. Ghosting is a common way that we deal with uncomfortable relationships, right? We just disappear from people without saying a word. It could be gradual, it could be sudden. We become ghosts. So why do people do this? Why do they ghost one another? Nobody likes being ghosted, so why do we do it? Well, four psychologists at St. Mary's in Maryland uh, did a study uh, trying to answer this question, these questions, and this is how it worked. They, they took two groups and they asked them, what do you think about ghosting? What is ghosting? And then they ask them some fundamental questions about relationships, like how do you know if a relationship is going to work? It's gonna last. How do you know if a relationship is going to fail? And here's what I found. 
Now, they found that people who hold destiny beliefs are 22% more likely to ghost people. And a destiny belief is this idea that we are destined to love a certain person. I'm destined to be with you. We are soulmates. That's a destiny belief. The belief in soulmates is, comes from this idea that we're destined for a specific kind of love. And it's counterintuitive because you might think that if you have a destiny belief, if you believe that the person you're with is your soulmate, that would make it less likely for you to ghost them. Aren't they important to you? But the truth is, people who hold destiny beliefs are more likely to ghost people. The other type of person is a, a person who holds growth beliefs about relationships. And people with growth beliefs uh, believe that relationships can improve over time if you just put in the work. And so we need to let our dreams die we need to let our destiny beliefs about love die. We need to, to, to let our fixations about how a relationship is supposed to work out, we need to let these dreams die if we are to let hope live. The Christian author, uh, Lewis Meads, he puts it this way, love is a power to let selfish hopes die, especially the hopes that are really demands that our dreams come true precisely as we wish them to. He's talking about the way that we lose hope in people because they're not making our dreams come true. They're not meeting our expectations for them or for us. They're challenging us to let our dreams die. But that is exactly what needs to happen in order for hope to live. You need to let your dreams die. Now, it is easy, especially for Christians, to fall into the trap, the spiral, the vortex of destiny beliefs about love. We think God picked this person for me, so I'm destined to be with them. I think we think God picked this job for me, so I better love my job. You know, we, we think God picked these group of group, this group of friends for me, and so I'm destined to be with them. And then when things get hard, we start to wonder, maybe I'm not destined to be married to this person. Maybe I'm not destined to work here. Maybe I'm not destined to hang out with these people. But if you truly believe in a God who is in control, a God who has created a destiny for you, then that should create a kind of humility and a self-awareness that leads you to ask the question if your dreams are actually God's dreams at all. And so when you are challenged to let your dreams die, the place to go is not to ask, is this my destiny? The place to go is to ask, maybe my dreams are not God's dreams. Maybe the reason God wants my dream to die right now is because he has a better dream for me. Now listen to the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we didn't read this part of the passage, describes love. If you know the, the, verses 4 through 6, this is part of the passage that gets read at weddings. I was talking to someone just before service and they're asking me what I was preaching on and I said 1 Corinthians 13 and someone said, ah, I heard that at a wedding yesterday. This is the, the famous wedding passage, right? Love is patient. What's God saying? Love is patient. God's saying, you, you need to let your dream die. Things are not moving as quickly as you thought they would. Things are not happening as smoothly as you thought that they would. 
just relax. Let your dream die. Uh, love is kind. You, you didn't think kindness would be this costly. You didn't think it would be this hard, but it's okay. It's not costing you nearly as much as you think it is because I am your treasure. Let your dream die. Be kind in uncomfortable and costly ways. Love does not envy. Your life didn't turn out the way that you thought it would, and it, it really annoys you when you see people who are more successful at, than you at the things that you want to be successful at, but it's okay. You're okay. God is, has a better dream for you. Let your dream die. Love does not boast. You feel like you need to constantly exaggerate your importance, but you don't because God loves you just the way that you are. Let your dream die. Love is not arrogant or rude. You think you need to protect yourself with arrogance or rudeness before someone can be arrogant or rude to you, but you don't because God is your defender. God is your protection. God is your fortress. God has your back, and so let your dream die. Love does not insist on its own way. You think you need to be in control of the way that people love you. you tell, you're constantly telling people, you don't love me. <laughs> and all that means is you don't love me the way I want you to love me. You need to be in control. And God says, you don't need to be in control. I'm in control. And I love you perfectly. Let your dream die. Love is not irritable or resentful. Why are we irritable and resentful? Because people are messing with our dreams. People are threatening our dreams, and God says, let your dream die. I have a better dream for you. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You don't like the truth about yourself. People confront you and tell you things that you don't want to hear, and all you want to do is tell them to back off. Well, let your dream die, because you don't have to live your life to become someone that you're not. God loves you for the person that you are. Let your dream die. You need to let your dream die if hope is to live. This relationship is not working out the way that you thought it would be. Be patient. Let your dream die. You want to be rude, irritable, and resentful? Just be kind. Let your dream die. You're consumed with envy and pride and arrogance, and you forget about yourself for a moment. Let your dreams die. God has a better dream for you. You feel stung by criticism. Just let go of the need to be perfect and rejoice in God's love. Let your dream die. God wants you to let your dreams die so your hope can live. God's challenging you to let your dreams die instead of letting your hope die because you can't have it all. For your hope to live, your dreams need to die. Love believes in all things and hopes all things. And this is good news because this means that there are no lost causes when God's love is present. Just when love is tempted to give up on people, love gives up on its own dreams instead. And this is so hard to do. It's so much easier to give up on people than it is to give up on our dreams. And this is why it's hard to find love in this world. We might find love in glimpses and in flashes, but no one believes and hopes all things for us. No one bears and endures all things for us. 
the only place where you can find this kind of love is Jesus. This brings us to the last point. Love redeems the loveless. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 ends by telling us how prophecies, tongues, and knowledge will all come to an end. Prophecies, tongues, and knowledge are good things. Prophecies are the inspired word of God given to people. Tongues are the supernatural ability to understand languages that you don't know, languages that you didn't study. Uh, And these are good things. Knowledge is the ability to understand and to apply biblical truth into your life and into other people's lives. These are good things, but they don't last forever. And Paul is writing this to the Corinthians because they had it backwards. The, the Corinthians were too easily impressed by people who could prophesy, people who could teach, people with knowledge, people who could speak in tongues. They were too easily impressed by the gifts that people had. They were more impressed by how gifted a person was than how loving they were. They thought anybody can love, but not everybody can prophesy. Not everybody can speak in tongues. Not everybody has knowledge. Not everyone can teach. They were more impressed by the gifts of people than the love of people, and that's why there was so much division in the church in Corinth. This letter was written to a church on the verge of a church split. People valued gifts more than they valued love, but they had it backwards because in the Bible's words, they were being childish. What makes Jesus' glory so unique is not his power, although he is infinite in his power. What makes Jesus' glory so unique is his love. Imagine if Jesus performed all the miracles that he performed in the New Testament, but he didn't have love. What if Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cast out demons, raised the dead, but with no mercy, no forgiveness, No compassion, no grace, no tenderness, no love. What if Jesus performed all his miracles but never died on a cross? What if he rose into heaven without the crucifixion? See, it wasn't Jesus' power to do amazing things that made him so glorious. It was his love that made him so glorious, and it's his love that makes Jesus utterly unique. Histories filled with religions and ideologies that worship power. The world is filled with deities with unlimited power, but with limited love. Deities that are hard to please. Deities that are easily triggered. The Bible is the only place where you will find a God who has both unlimited power and unlimited love. His love never fails. His love never ends. His love is supreme over everything. His love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. His love makes all things new. Some of you might have a hard time believing in the power of Jesus. You look at a book like the Bible and you think, how do, you, how do people believe all the supernatural stuff that happens in that book? And that's a legitimate question to ask. And that's something, you know, worth thinking about and talking about. But let me just suggest that the most incredible thing about Jesus is not that he's supernatural. The most incredible thing about Jesus is how he loves. 
He loves us. His power only makes a difference in our lives because of his love. So verse 10 tells us that the perfect has to come to us. What does that mean? See, we don't attain perfection. Perfection has to come to us. What's the perfect? Well, the Bible's talking about the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect, and he's coming back. Why is he coming back? He's coming back for you. He needs to die on the cross for your sin. He needs to rise from the grave. He needs to ascend into heaven, and he needs to come back again to make all things new. Our love, your love, my love will never be perfect this side of heaven. Even at our best, we're just speaking with baby talk. Our best experiences of love are like looking in a bronze mirror, and that's how all mirrors were in the ancient world, which means that you're looking at an imperfect image of yourself. Your best love, our best experiences of love in this world, in this life, is broken and incomplete and imperfect, but the perfect is coming. There is someone who is perfect in love, and he is coming. You don't only need to believe in him by faith, your entire existence, there is a day soon and very soon when you will see him face to face. He's coming back for you. All of us have failed in love. We haven't born and endured or believed and hoped in one another. Not in all things. We've given up on people. Maybe we've ghosted people. We've had people ghost us. We've had people give up on us. And some of you might be sitting here right now having a really hard time with love right now. Maybe there's someone in your life that you know you should love, but you just can't. A lot of us have people that we don't even want to talk to anymore. People who used to be so close to us. People who are so, such close friends. We are imperfect. Our love is imperfect. It's broken, and we fail at it over and over again, but the perfect is coming. All you need to do is to admit that you need him. All you need to do is to put your heart in his hands and trust him. All you need to do is to believe that he has a better dream for you than you could ever have for yourself. All you need to do is to believe that in Jesus, God is captivated by you. Not the things that you do for him, not by the way that you look, not your gifts, not even by your love. He's captivated simply by you. And he knows you, and he loves you, and he's coming again for you. So let his love take over your life. Surrender your dreams to him, and go love one another and love your city more than you thought humanly possible. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, who are we that you would love us so? When we think about Christ and how he bore and endured for us, it took an extraordinary, supernatural kind of patience to do that because it meant for him that he would endure your infinite judgment in our place on the cross, that he would give us his perfect righteousness. And our perfection rests solely on the fact that we are known and loved by him. So God, we praise you for the hope that you have given us in Jesus. and We pray that you would help us to experience more of it this morning, more of it this week, and that it would produce in us the fruit of love. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.